welcome back for another episode. I'm your host, Chuck, and this is The Vine at Life, a podcast dedicated to equipping young adults to effectively communicate their faith. Listen, we are located in Las Vegas, Nevada at Life Baptist Church. We meet every single Thursday at 7 p.m. in the community center so that way we can help young adults effectively communicate their faith and help them create a community for their own. Now, I'm excited because we have a great challenge question that we're going to be addressing today. And then we're also continuing our study in the book of Romans. If you have not read the book of Romans, listen, you need to read the book of Romans. This is a phenomenal book. I think it encompasses a great mind of a Christian. Paul has a lot of hard doctrinal statements. He has a lot of theology that is packed into this. And um, as a young adult community here in life, we have been going through the book of Romans for this past year, and it's just been amazing. So we're going to jump back into Romans chapter seven. We're in verses one through six, and then we're also going to answer our challenge question. So let's get into it. The challenge question that we had today is what is the unforgivable sin? Now, I posed this question to the young adults, and I was surprised because not a lot of young adults has even thought about this. Um, so I had to follow up and ask another question. Do all the young adults believe that there is an unforgivable sin? Is there a sin that Jesus would not forgive us for? Now, it was divided at first. We had some that was on the camp that says, no, the blood of Jesus has covered everything. He has forgiven all of our sins. We must need to just confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's first John one nine. That's absolutely correct. And then there were some other young adults that said, you know what? There is, I do remember Jesus talking about an unforgivable sin, but I can't really pinpoint it. Now this could be seen as a good thing and a bad thing that a lot of young adults don't know about this. Number one, it could be seen as a good thing because this, this is this showing that their belief in Jesus being able to forgive all of our sins is on the right track. But then also it could be a bad thing because the unforgivable sin is unforgivable. It is something that even Jesus himself said, this is something that he is not going to forgive. So we turn to Matthew chapter 12 to dig deeper into this. Now, if you have your Bibles, which I hope that you do, we're going to read a little bit of this portion. Um, the context starts absolutely in chapter 12, but we're going to jump down to um, verse 22 because this is where we encounter Jesus healing a demon possessed man who was mute and blind. And the Pharisees, they had problems with this. Now, the Pharisees had seen Jesus heal this man. They have witnessed his testimonies to healing this man and other people as well. But the Pharisees, they say an interesting statement. They say in verse 24, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. So now that they have witnessed what Christ has done, they're saying he did not do that by the power of God. He did that by the power of Beelzebub, which is the ruler of demons. So they're attributing what Christ did by the power of the Holy Spirit to demons. Now, Jesus gets into this debate with them. Well, it's not really a debate. He, he shows them the, the, iron, the ironic fact of their statement saying that, well, if he cast out demons by Beelzebub, then who do your sons cast them out by? Because a person that cast out demons, like if Beelzebub is trying to set up his kingdom, he wouldn't send a demon to tear down his kingdom. 
So Jesus goes on further and says that, you know, if I do this by the finger of God, then you will know that the power of God or the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he's showing them that their statement just doesn't make sense. But he also says something very interesting in verse 31. He says, therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people. Now, that's where we would stop and say, see, there is no such thing as an unforgivable sin. But remember, Christian, we need to keep reading. We need to read the text in full and its context. There's not a period there. It continues to go. So Jesus says, but blasphemy against the spirit shall not be forgiven. So we have Jesus even saying that there is a sin that is unforgivable. Now, after we went to the text, we had all young adults all on the same page, which is how it should be. We shouldn't make our assumptions. We shouldn't base our theologies on what we think or what we've heard someone else say. We need to base it off of what the scripture says. And Jesus even says that there is a sin that is unforgivable, and that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So then that, that, that begs the question, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? So Let's break it down like this. We, we examine what the Pharisees did. They saw an act that Jesus did in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was without a doubt that they witnessed this, but yet they attributed what he was doing to demons. So blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is willfully wide-eyed knowing the work of the Holy Spirit, but attributing it to the devil, knowing that the act was absolutely divine. So, so anything that we are attributing to Satan that has only been accomplished by the power of God and doing so in a way, in a way that is flagrant and that is willful, that leads into persistent rejection of God and his commands, that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I mean, we can't sit up here and see that God is doing something by the power of, of his Holy Spirit through his Holy Spirit and attributing that to someone else. That That's just blasphemy. <laughs> that's what Jesus is saying. They witnessed, they saw this. And yet, even though it was by God, they say it couldn't have been him. And so what does that look like today for us? I mean, do we go around seeing people blaspheming the Holy Spirit? I mean, a lot of the times we would attribute and we would say, yeah, we do. People say, you know, they, they make curses at God. They, you know, do all these things that are just utter blasphemies. But we also have to remember what Jesus said. He said, if you blaspheme against the son of man, that will be forgiven. But it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, this careless act committed only by those who willfully and continue in this act. This is why the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is so serious, because when a person commits this, this is something that they cannot retract. This is something that they can't come back for. And it's something that they don't want to come back for. It's not in a moment of rebellion or rage. It's not in a callous attitude or accidentally. It is the persistent defiance that continues to harden your heart and calcifies the heart to where there is no repentance. This person does not want to repentance. They are in defiance of what they know to be true without a shadow of a doubt. The Pharisees knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was God, the Holy Spirit working in and through Jesus to be able to do this for a blind and mute. Because we see earlier that this could have only happened by God. So when Jesus proves this and he says that he does this by the finger of God, we see the kingdom of God coming upon them. We see his rule and authority coming on them. But yet 
they are willfully rejecting this. So for us today, we need to not only see this as a warning, because this is a serious offense. This is unforgivable. But we also need to take hope in this, because as it says in First Peter chapter one, it is God who keeps his people. He is the one who sustains us. He is the one who who keeps us in his hand and does not let us go. So Christians, we can see this as a word that contains hope because we are kept by God. So therefore, those who who worry about this constantly, if they've committed the unpardonable sin or the the sin of unforgiveness, listen, and I was there at that point when I was in youth group as a kid, um, I was afraid that I had committed the unforgivable sin. And one day I asked my youth leader, I was like, you know, what is this unforgivable sin so that I won't commit it? And he was like, ah, don't worry about it. And I was, I was freaking out because I'm like, well, no, no, I, I need to worry about it. Because what if I forget? What, what if I do it by accident? What if this is something that I, I slip? It just slips out of my mouth and I accidentally blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Like, how do I reconcile this if it's an unforgivable sin? And, and I was told, well, if you have to ask, you didn't commit. Now, at the time, I was like, man, I, I, the, the answer did not satisfy me. We needed, I needed something to give me a more robust understanding. And digging deeper into the scripture gave me that because I see that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not something that you can commit by accident. Listen, Christian, you cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit by accident. It is willfully knowing the truths of God and rejecting that and attributing that to the works of Satan. You can't accidentally do that. That is something that we we consciously know. So this as a sin, the, the, the people that commit this sin, they have no concern. They have no conviction. They have no anxiety or it's not going to lead them to repentance. It is a sin that is so hard hearted, so willful that it persists in defiance. And the one that is committing it, he or she could care less about committing it. So if you are worried or concerned that you have committed the unforgivable sin, let let me give you some words of encouragement because people who are ashamed of their sin have not committed the unforgivable sin. People that feel convicted by the Holy Spirit in their hearts and who have this sense of guilt of violating God's word and God's command, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. People who are in fear of committing the unforgivable sin, listen, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. And if you are broken and grieving over the sins that you have committed against a holy and righteous God, let me once again reassure you, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. We can rest in the assurance that the God who called us will also keep us. So once again, if you have a challenge question, I encourage you to email thevine at lifebaptistchurch.com, submit your questions, or you can hit us up on Instagram. It's thevine at life sends a DM, and we will definitely get to your challenge question. So now let's jump into Romans. Listen, I love this book, man. I'm telling you, this, this book of Romans is so theologically dense, but it's so good at the same time. So we are trying to take this in parts. We're not trying to drink from a fire hose or anything like that. We're trying to, to glean as much as we can from this book. So last night we were in Romans chapter, or Thursday night, I should say, we were in Romans Chapter seven, we went through the first six verses. Now I'm going to read it before we get into our questions. Here it says, Romans chapter one or Romans chapter seven, verse one, or do you not know brothers? 
For I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is master over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman has been bound by law to her husband as long as he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were constrained so that we would serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Hear the word of the Lord. Listen, I love reading scripture on a podcast, on Facebook, on all the platform, because I think that's just such a good opportunity for us to hear the word of the Lord. So let's dig into our questions. The first question was, Paul is speaking to a specific crowd because he says in verse um, one, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. So here's the question. How does this illustration apply to modern context of those who are married, but are not holding to the law like they did in the Old Testament? Or in the New Testament. Now, this is something that um, we need to understand. The law of God supersedes any and other, any and every law. That that is one thing that we need to get straight. Yes, we live in a culture now to where people do not take marriage as seriously as they should. They don't take the institution of marriage like that of the Apostle Paul or those in the New Testament. It's, it's very flippant. We have different definitions of what the law is on marriage today. I mean, we live in a culture to where a man and a man can marry each other, a woman and a woman can marry each other. And that's just not how God has designed it. God has designed marriage to be with one man and one woman. Now, that may be controversial for a lot of people. But once again, the law of God supersedes any other law. So we can't take an institution and create it and fix it how we want it. We have to enter into the institution how God has designed it. Now, I give this analogy all the time when I'm counseling couples. When I went into the Marine Corps, hurrah, I went to the Marine Corps. I didn't sign the contract and then say, OK, I'm going to do this the way I want to do it. <laughs> Absolutely not. I would get thrashed every single day. They would probably even kick me out because I was being defiant. Now, I went into the Marine Corps and I had to adapt I had to conform. I had to do my service the way that they require me to do that service because they created this institution. Now, we have respect for our military members. We have respect for our servicemen and and people that go into the military have respect for that institution. How much more should the institution of God be? God created Marriage there in the garden when he joined Adam and Eve, he created an institution of marriage to where a man and a woman is now joined. They leave and cleave. The two become one. So this is an institution that he created. Therefore, we need to abide by the rules and the regulations that he has commanded for this institution. So there are certain um, there are certain roles that a man has. There are certain roles that a woman have. 
We can't go off and do our own things. So I don't see us doing anything different than what Paul did. He clearly stated what the law or they, they clearly knew what the law was. Just like today, people need to understand what God's design for marriage is. Only then are we able to use the same illustration that Paul used of how we can um, how we can we can make our case for being bound. Now, we have to also go back. Paul in chapter seven, these first six verses is answering the question that he had or that he posed in chapter six. So in chapter six, verse two, Paul says, how shall we who have died to sin, die to sin still live in it? Now, he goes on and he gives three different examples. The third one is found in here and is dealing with marriage. But the people had an understanding of marriage. People today need that understanding of what marriage is. So I don't see us doing anything differently. I think it still applies in our modern context. We just need to make sure that we are defining terms and that we are all on the same page of what it means when we're talking about the law of marriage. So our next question, it says, wait, what? Paul is implying, is Paul implying that Christ is another man or shouldn't we have remained faithful? Why or why not? Now, this question comes from verses three and four, where it says, so then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that even if she is joined to another man, she is not called an adulteress. So, brothers, you were also made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another. Now, this was a, a gotcha question because no. We are not in the same way cheating on Christ or cheating with Christ. We have been called to die to the law. So in that instance, Christ is the other man that we are with because the first man is our sin nature. The, Adam was our federal head. And being in Adam, we incurred the sin nature. We need to die to that. So in that aspect, yes, we need our, another man. We need to be made into new creatures. We need to die to ourselves, and, and we can see this in verse four. Oftentimes when I'm creating these questions, the answer is found within the text. It says, so that you might be joined to another, to him, to who? Christ, who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Because it says in verse five that we bear fruit in our members while we were in the flesh for death. Now, here's the thing, Christian. Do we want to continue to be in our sin nature? Do we want to continue to produce these fruits that lead to death? Or do we want to die to that? As we have seen in verse six on, on how we are no longer under the, the power of sin. Although sin is still present, we are no longer under its power. So we have died to that. We have a new master. We have a new man. We have a new life in Christ Jesus. And we need to cling to that. So, yeah, in that aspect, yes, Christ is our other man, but not in the aspect that we're cheating on anyone because we've been cheated by having this sin nature uh, incurred onto us. It, it, it is it is the fall of man that produced all this and we continue to sin. Romans chapter three, there's no one who seeks God. There's no one righteous. There's no one who do good, who does good. So, yes, we need to leave our old self behind. We need to be joined to Christ. Now. In verse three is asking a question on verse five. So here's what verse five in Romans chapter seven says. 
while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So here's the question. In Galatians 5, 22 through 23, it gives us a sample of the kind of fruit that we bear for God. What is the fruit that is at work in the members of our body that bear fruit for death? And listen, I think this is crucial for us to understand. We need to have an understanding of what this type of fruit is, because the tree that bears good fruit will continue to produce good fruit. The tree that bears bad fruit will continue to produce bad fruit. So the question that we need to be asking ourselves is what type of fruit are, you, are, are we bearing? Are we bearing good fruit? Are we bearing bad fruit? We see that in verses 22 through 23 of Galatians, we see what the good fruit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Like we, we see all these things and that's good. But here's the thing. What are the bad fruits? Now, a lot of the young adults went straight to the text. And I think that is good. We always need to go back to the text and defining what God is defining. Our pastor said this Sunday, we need to say what God says about our sin. We don't need to make up our own things or I think this is it. I think this is it. No, no. We need to go back to what the Lord says. Now, if you look in Galatians chapter five, in verse 22, it starts off by talking about the good fruit. But if you back up to verse 19, it talks about the bad fruit. It says here in Galatians five nineteen. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfishness, dissension, factions, enviness, drunkenness, coercion, and the things that are like. Now, listen, this is not an exhaustive list because we see other lists in like 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We see lists like this throughout the Bible. This is not an exhaustive list, but we can take this list and say, am I bearing this type of fruit? Because if it is, it leads to death. We see this in Romans chapter 7. There's a fruit that leads to death, and that is what's of the flesh. And we just seen in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, what that fruit is. Just a sample of it. Just like in Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23, it gives us a sample of the fruit that we are bearing for God. Now, that once again is a sample. We have other fruit that we are bearing for God, like forgiveness. Listen, Christian, if you're withholding forgiveness from someone, that's fruit that will lead you to death. We are people who produce genuine forgiveness. I preached a message on um, Joseph, and Joseph is a great example of what genuine forgiveness is. We need to be like Joseph despite all of the pain, heartache, and anything that he went through. He still was able to portray genuine forgiveness. We too, Christians. So we, we need to be bearing these types of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all of these fruits. They're, 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 they're not, it's an exhaustive list. We can look throughout all the Bible. Abiding in Christ is another fruit. Are we keeping his commands? Are we loving our brothers? Are we loving those that, that come to us and need to? Are we showing them with our actions or are we just telling them? Listen, love always transfers into action. We can't just say that we love our brother and not do anything about it. Christ said that he loved us and then he died for our sins. So these are the type of fruits that we need to continue to bear. So let's go on to, to question number four. In question number four, it says, read verse six. Here it is. Verse six. 
But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were constrained, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. So here's the question. If we do still sin, what does Paul mean by having died to by having died to that by which we were bound? Listen, Christian, we covered this earlier and we see this in, in, in Romans chapter six. We have died to the power of sin. Sin has no power over us. Like I said earlier, this is Paul giving his third argument for the question, how shall we who have died to sin still live in it? We, we have died to sin. We have died to sin through the example of baptism when we go down in the water and come up just like Christ died and he rose on the third day. We are no longer slaves to the shackles that sin gives us. We, 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 we have divorced it or, or we have died to that sin to where we can now be joined to Christ. Listen, Christian, we're not bound to the power of sin anymore. We have the power to overcome sin. So we need to rightly appropriate what God has already declared to be true. He said that there is nothing that has overtaken us that we we don't that he does not provide a way out for. So the sin that you're struggling with, listen, you do not have to succumb to it. It is through Christ that we have victory. It is through Christ that that we can overcome these things. Now, yeah, we still do sin. There's sins of omission. There's sins of commission. But Paul is talking about the sins that have bound us, the, the ones that we thought we had no control over, the, the sins that we thought that this is going to be me for the rest of my life. No, the Lord has given us victory in a lot of those areas, and he continues to do so, which is why he is working in and through us day by day, renewing us. We are always being conformed into the image of his son, and we need to appropriate that. We need to really, really understand that, that sin does not have power over us. It is Christ who is working in and through us. Now, question number five. This is our last question. We're running out of time, so I'm going to try and make this short. So question number five is, what are some good indicators that believers serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter? Listen, I think this is something that we need to really think about. Really think about. If you're a Christian and you're hearing this podcast right now, I want you to think about what are some ways, what are some indicators that you know you are walking in the newness of the spirit. You are serving in the newness of the spirit. You are appropriating what God has said. And you're not walking in the oldness of the letter. You're not trying to do a works based mentality. And we've already covered some of those things. Galatians 5 is a good place to start. Forgiving others is a good place to start. Recognizing that you are dead to your sin is a good place to start. These are all great indicators to bearing good fruit for the Lord, to recognizing that, okay, I am walking in the spirit. Am I, I, if I feel conviction over my sin, am I confessing that to God? Like John 1, 9 says, if I have a altercation with my brother or sister, am I going to go to them and see if I can be reconciled? Like we are to be at peace with all men so much as it depends on us. Now, there is an aspect of the, the reconciliation that, that needs to happen. But listen, our job is to try and reconcile. Our main job is to always forgive. Our main job is to to produce these fruits, because if we are Christians, that means we are followers 
of Christ. So listen, Christian, I want to encourage you today. Look at your life and see, am I producing these fruits that live? I mean, that, that uh, am I producing these fruits that serve in the newness of the spirit or in the oldness of the letter? Are you allowing Christ to do in and through you that which you cannot do yourself? Or are you trying to, to do these things? Or are you trusting him? Listen, we, 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 need to, we need to trust God to live his life in and through us. And we do that by abiding in Christ. I am so glad to, to be on this podcast with you guys. I'm so glad to continue to pour into you. Listen, if you have a desire to learn more and be with us on a Thursday night, I want to encourage you to come on down. We are at Life Baptist Church every Thursday at 7 p.m. in the community center. That's 6316 South Tenea Way. We would love to have you guys. But until then, I want to encourage you guys to stay in God's word, to continue to bear fruit for him, because that's what you were created for. I love you guys, and I'm always here for you.